0: We're in this series called Questions Jesus Asked. But when we look through scriptures, we often think about the questions that we have for Jesus. And actually, Jesus was asked in scripture 183 questions were asked of Jesus. Do you remember from last week how many of those questions he actually answered? Anyone remember? Less than 10. Less than 10. So, you had any of those answers were good. Less than 10. So, all these questions that were asked of Jesus, he only answered less than 10. And here's the thing we want answers. We want answers, we're looking for answers, but Jesus asks questions. Now here's a good thing, if you are looking for answers and you're a skeptic or you're struggling, we are doing a series following Easter called Questions of a Skeptic, and we're going to look at some of the toughest questions that we have today, And, and you also have an opportunity to submit your questions for the next series, and we'll look to answer some of those tough questions. So you will get a chance to have some of those questions answered. But what we're looking at is not the questions that we have for Jesus, it's the questions he has for us. And while he was only asked 183 questions, he himself asked 307 questions as recorded by Scripture. Think about that. He did a lot more asking of questions than he did doling out answers. And you think, why would Jesus even need to ask a question? There should be no question mark after anything Jesus says because we talk about Jesus being all-knowing, right? He's all-knowing, and and Jesus should already know. Why would he even need to ask any question? Could be like, I already know that about you. I already know what you need. I already know all these things. But Jesus doesn't assume. He doesn't jump in. He asks questions, and which is a really interesting quality of Jesus, because why is he asking those questions? He understands that in asking questions, we seek deeper knowledge. It's through asking questions that we really grow. It's through asking questions that we become introspective. And and when we seek answers and when we discover answers, they're always a lot more powerful than when someone just tells you, here's the answer. And so, Jesus is causing us to go deeper. And in this series, we're looking at some faith stimulating, thought provoking questions that really get us to do some introspection and to really get us to think about who is Jesus, who are we, and what's he asking of us. And so, we dive into these these questions. And what's so cool about every question that's asked, just like in a relationship, questions are what draw us into relationship. When we take a genuine interest in someone else, when we want to know something about them, it, it says, I want to know you, and I want to be in relationship with you. And that is the way Jesus operates as we, as we tackle the series of questions that Jesus asks. Now, today, we have a very cool question. This is my favorite question. If I ever wanted to be asked a question of Jesus, today's question is the one that I want to be asked. I mean, this question is like, man, if Jesus is going to ask me this question, man, I, I, I'm ready for it. And really, the thing is, this question is often opposite of what we often of what we think Jesus is asking. We often think Jesus wants something from us and that he's demanding things from us. And there are things that being a follower of Christ challenges us to do and to be. But many times we get that wrong. Jesus begins by wanting something for us. And so here's this question that he asks. Today's question is found in Mark chapter 10. It's this, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't that a great question? What do you want me to do for you? I mean, we got to love that question. If somebody asks you that question, what do you want me to do for you? Isn't that nice? Don't you feel validated? Don't you feel like, man, this person, wow, they want to do something for me, but it makes a difference who's asking that question, right? I mean, if my five-year-old is asking me that question and comes up to me, daddy, daddy, what do you want me to do for you? Then I think, okay, what's she capable of doing for me? What do you want to sit on my lap? Do we want to read a book or can you bring me the remote or fetch me my slippers? I don't know. What's she capable of as a five-year-old, right? I actually don't really wear slippers very often, but it seems like the thing to do. Give me my pipe, my paper and my slippers. Um, the, uh, you know, if a parent is asking you, you know, you're a teenager and your parent would just come up to you and says, what do you want me to do for you? And you're thinking, I'd love a car, right? Mom and dad, can you provide me a car? And you think through, okay, who's asking this question? If an employee is asking that question, one of your employees, you think, that's great. They're, they're ready to be on board and to help me with, with what I need to do. Absolutely, that's great. Let me tell you what, what, what we can do. If your boss is asking you that question, you go, oh, that's great. My boss is asking, what can I do for you? What do you want me to do for you? Well, um, you can give me some more resources or maybe an extra long vacation or how about a raise, right? Depending on who's asking it, it, it depends how we respond. Whether it's a doctor and he, he asks you, what do you want? I want wellness. If you go to a physical trainer at a, you know, a gym, well, I want to lose 10 pounds. I want to get rid of these, these love handles. If you get pulled over by a policeman and uh, he rolls down the window and he says, what can I do for you? He said, please don't give me a ticket, right? I mean, I, I didn't mean to speed. I didn't mean to do that. And so you think about who it is that's asking this question. And, and today, as we see in this question, it's Jesus asking, what do you want me to do for you? The God of the universe the creator of all things, the savior of the world, the all-powerful Jesus is asking you this question, what do you want me to do for you? How do you answer that question? It's a great question. Take a moment, to think about it. How would you answer that question in that moment? We're gonna look at a story in scripture where this takes place and see what we can learn from that and how that question was answered. And before we do that, let's pray And let's ask God just to open our eyes and hearts to hear what he has to say. Heavenly Father, thank you for your questions. Sometimes they frustrate us because we just want answers. And yet, God, they cause us to to turn inward, to look and to seek and to find. God, open our eyes today to your truth and help us to know how we should answer this question or what it is that you're calling us to. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So we find the story in Mark chapter 10, and as we do in a lot of Scripture, and especially in Mark, there's a lot of action. Mark, one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all telling the story of Jesus. Mark is the shortest of the books, and so if you ever want to feel like I read all of Jesus' life, read Mark. You can get through it in 16 chapters pretty quick. A lot of action. It's always they went here, they did this, and they're on the move, and in this story, it's no different. Jesus is on the move with his disciples, and he's going from place to place, and as is often the case, because Jesus was healing and teaching, crowds followed Jesus. And so the crowds are following along, and they find themselves, and the story takes place just outside of Jericho, this, this, the city that was known in the ancient world and, and uh, that the Israelites knew well, the city of Jericho. And that's where this takes place. Uh, and, and along the side of the road, Jesus meets an individual. And so let's take a look at the story and see how it unfolds and where this question uh, comes into play. We're going to look at Mark chapter 10, And we're going to begin at verse 46, Mark chapter 10, verse 46, the context of the story. Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. So here's the context of the story. Right? outside the city, city walls in this, this ancient city, here's this man on the side of the road. And the Scripture tells us his name is Bartimaeus. And he's identified by two things. He's a blind beggar. So I picture him, his eyes closed, he cannot see. He's begging on the side of the road. He sits there every day. Somebody probably leads him to that spot, you know, and he, they, he put him down, and then he just sits and he begs. He's at the mercy of other people. He's, he's, he's listening for passerbys, and, and he's just asking for help at different times. And on this particular day, as he's sitting out there and, and, and begging in his usual place, he hears the, the rustle of the crowd, the footsteps in the sand. He maybe feels the dust being kicked up, and he's asking around, well, who's coming? What, what's going on? What's all the commotion? And somebody tells him, Bartimaeus, it's Jesus. Jesus is coming. He's like, Jesus, the one that's, that, that heals people, the one I've been hearing about? Yeah, that Jesus. And so as the, as the crowd is drawing near, as the footsteps are coming closer, as the voices are getting louder, he just, in in desperation, calls out, "Son of David, have mercy on me." He's just screaming out, "Have mercy on me!" In desperation, here is his hope: Jesus is coming by. He's been waiting. He has this desperate hope, this one opportunity. Here comes Jesus. I'm not going to blow this one opportunity, yo. Anyone recognize that Eminem fans? Any of you? Now, see, didn't think Pastor could quote some Eminem, right? Don't miss this one opportunity. Never mind over your heads. You never know. You never know where it shows up in scripture, right? He had this one opportunity, yo, and uh, (laughs) he didn't want to miss it. And so he's calling out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. But as is often the case, people around, when you're calling out to God, when you're in desperation, when you're trying to move forward, here's how the story continues. You think others would help him and jump alongside, but it continues, verse 48, be quiet. Many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, Bartimaeus. Don't you understand? You're a blind beggar. You're probably blind because there's some sin in your life or you did something wrong. As we've read in other stories in Scripture, people would assume that some of those, those, those illnesses or infirmities or those challenges were because of, because of something somebody did wrong. You're, you're kind of on the fringe of society. This is Jesus. He doesn't want to spend time with you. Don't, don't distract him. He's here for the religious folks. He's here for the good folks. Sometimes we feel that way, maybe coming to church. Can't go there. That's for all those holy rollers. That's for all those people that, that, that know God. They live really well. They have the perfect marriages. Their kids are great. And, and they live just so by the book. Man, if I show up there, lightning's going to strike. I can't come into this place. If you only knew. And maybe you feel hushed. Maybe it's your own sense of what's there that you feel other people are telling you. You can't express what you need. Just be quiet, get in line. But Bartimaeus, right there he is on the side of the road, hearing people tell him to be quiet, and he had to think for a moment, what do I do? But he shouted all the louder, son of David, have mercy on me. Wherever you are, I can't see you, but I know you're coming by, and I just hope that you hear me. And in desperation, he is calling out, and he is crying out, looking for some hope, because the plight of the blind beggar has been just to be relegated to the sidelines. But in this moment of crying out and just in desperation, seeking out to God, we read the scripture that Jesus then stops. And as we read on in verse 49, it says, when Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called the blind man, cheer up, they said, come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up and came to Jesus. I kind of picture like a a, you know player on the NBA. You see him sitting on the on the bench, hasn't played all year long. You know, never gets put in, and and uh, all of a sudden he's begging the coach. And finally, the coach calls him up, right? And he's got those tear off warm ups. You know, it's like, woo, I'm ready to go. You know, Bartimaeus throws his coat off. He's like, I don't know where Jesus is, but I'm making my way, right? He's called me. Tell him to come to me. And with hope, he steps forward. This is the moment. This is his chance. And when we think about Jesus and you think about who he was, to think in a crowd, he heard that voice calling out. And he took notice on an individual. It wasn't just about the crowd. It wasn't just about everyone that was following him. He heard that call for mercy, that plea for help. And he stops, he acknowledges, and he says, tell him to come to me. I want to have this encounter. I want to see what's there. And don't you know, when Jesus takes notice, it's a powerful thing some of us are begging and calling and saying, Jesus, take notice of me. Or maybe you feel like he'd never notice you because you're off on the sidelines. You're not in the the mix of what happens in church and faith and Bible and all that stuff. But Jesus hears this call and he stops. And then Bartimaeus comes over and then comes this question in the story. And this is where we kind of go, Jesus, is is this really a good question? I mean, you're Jesus. I can't believe you're asking this question. And here's the question, verse 51. Standing in front of Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Duh! <laughs> I mean, come on, Jesus. I mean, this is obvious. Everyone's standing around going, why even ask him? You're Jesus. You know. Just heal him. He wants sight. He, you know, he's a blind beggar. Two definitions. He, he needs sight, and he wants money. I'm sure that's what he needs. Why does Jesus ask this seemingly obvious question? Well, let's look at that in a few different angles. One of those is, by asking this question, it puts Jesus in the position of a servant, right? Anyone that asks that question, if you ever ask that question, it puts you in the position of a servant. What can I do for you? What do you want me to do for you? I'm here, I'm ready to help. And so Jesus says, look, I've come to serve you. Bartimaeus, though you are the outcast, though you've been pushed to the sidelines, though you've been begging, I am actually here to serve you. And Jesus says in in other parts of scripture, he says, I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve others, to give my life as a ransom for others. And here he's demonstrating this in such a powerful way. How can I serve you in this position of a servant with this question? Jesus asked another seemingly, what might seem to be obvious question in a different story. That's also kind of related and has to do with the healing situation. And we find this story in John chapter 5. There's a man who's been lame for 38 years. He couldn't move. He couldn't walk. And in the scene takes place that he's by this, this healing pool at the temple. This pool of Bethsaida, where, where the legend had it and the story had it, that those that would go into that pool at, right, at the right time, when the waters were bubbling up, you'd go into that pool and you would find healing. And so when this opportunity came, he'd make his way over to that pool and everybody crowded him out. He was lame, he couldn't move, and so everybody was jumping in and was getting healing for this and for that and, and getting in that water, and he just couldn't get there. And Jesus happened to be there that day. And when he walks up to this man, Jesus asks him this question and, In John 5, verse 6, he says, do you want to get well? It's another one of those moments where you go, Jesus, come on, really? The guy's obviously trying to make it to the healing pool. I mean, why are you asking this question, do you want to get well? What do you want me to do for you? What's the deal with these questions? But even in that question, do you want to get well, I think the question is, do you really want to get well? Do you know what you want to get well from? Because some of us don't even realize that we need healing. Some of us have been in our dysfunction so long that we think it's normal. That when somebody offers healing, when somebody offers hope, we're like, no, we've kind of figured it out, and I know it doesn't work, and it's just bad, but we're just gonna keep functioning in this way. And so we stay in that dysfunction. We stay in that state of of, of brokenness. And so you can't help somebody who's in that state of brokenness or who doesn't want healing, who doesn't wanna get well. Or maybe our identity is so wrapped up in these labels that have been placed on us. Bartimaeus, blind beggar, that's who I am. That's who I'm going to be the rest of my life. And so I'm not even going to ask for healing. I'm not going to ask for anything because I guess that's just who I am. And so Jesus is asking these probing questions because I think he wants to try to understand, do we understand ourselves? Some of us think we're beyond healing. We're beyond hope. And if you only knew my life, if you only knew my past, You know, when hell freezes over, (laughs) kind of things. That's when I'll, you know, God will do something for me. But God wants to know. Jesus is asking, do you want to be well? Do you want healing? And in that question, when Jesus is asking those questions, what I think is so great is he doesn't assume that we know what we want. And he doesn't assume that, that he knows what we want, although he does. Jesus knows, and yet he still asks. So he's asking not because he doesn't know. He's asking because he wants to know Do you really know what you want? Do you really know what you need? Do you really want to get well? And implicit with that, too, is also, do you know who's asking you this question? And so he's posing these questions. What do you want? Do you know what you need? But by looking at this man and by asking this question, he honors them. Because he doesn't just define the man by his disability, he doesn't define the blind man by his blindness. See, with Jesus... People, we, we're not defined by some of these labels. We're not defined by our gender. We're not defined by sexual orientation, by addiction, by our failures, by our sickness, by our mental state, by our mistakes, by our paycheck, by our zip code that we live in, by the job title that we have. These definitions for Jesus are not assumptions. See, we see somebody and maybe we put them into categories and assume this is what they need. This is who they are. This is what they're all about. Jesus dignifies that person and asks that question, what do you want me to do for you? He's showing respect. He's not presuming, but he's listening. And in that moment, he's inviting him into a relationship. And when Jesus is asking you, he's inviting you to sit down and to say, let's have a conversation. I want to know you. I want to hear what's moving inside of you. And he wants, in this moment, right, he's asking questions like in healing. And if you think about the healing arts, if you're in the medical field and and whatnot, you don't want to show up at a hospital, right, in the emergency room and have, somebody, and have somebody just start working on you. I mean, now, of course, if your arm is, is, is falling off and dangling there, then I don't want somebody to ask me questions. I think it's pretty obvious, you know, fix my arm. But how do, the, how do those interactions begin? They begin by, what's your name? What are you here for today? How, where are you hurting? What can I do for you? How should we proceed? And, and, and it's these probing questions that begin to get deeper to help us understand where the need, need is. And here is Bartimaeus standing face-to-face with Jesus. He can't see him, but Jesus is asking this question. How does he respond? And I think in that moment, Bartimaeus understood who was asking him that question. But he also, I think, was aware of the history of that place and the history of that moment. He's in Jericho, by the way. If you remember in Old Testament, and in Jericho, if you were part of our series that we did a few months ago, 31 Kings, Jericho was the first city that, that, that stood in the way of the promised land, right? The, the people of Israel, the Israelites, had been freed from the hand of Pharaoh. Moses led them by the hand of God through the Red Sea, through the desert, across the Jordan River, and there stood Jericho imposing with those walls that this ragtag group of, of, that had been former slaves could not conquer on their own. How would they take this land? And, and the word came, circle the walls of this city. Once a day for seven days in silence. And the armies and the priests did that. Once a day for seven days. On the seventh day, they circled the city, Jericho, seven times. And then upon the command of the priests and the word of God, they gave a mighty shout, and the walls came crashing down. In that place is where the story takes place, in Jericho. And I wonder if Bartimaeus at that moment didn't think, God, you did it once. You tore down those walls. You did the impossible. I'm going to ask for something big. I'm going big or I'm going home blind. <laughs> It's one or the other. I'm going big. And and, and if this is the God who can make those walls come down, maybe he can make the walls and the scales in my eyes opened up. And with courage, he musters this response in chapter 10, verse 51, after the question is asked, what do you want me to do for you? He says these four words, I want to see. I mean, it might seem kind of obvious, but at the same time, it was so clear, it was so known, he wants to see. And he was ready to give an answer right at that moment. And I wonder, how do we answer? How specific? How quick can you answer that question? I think sometimes as uh, we we just get very vague. As one pastor once said, you know, God doesn't answer vague prayers. If you ask vague prayers, how do you know if God is even answering? Just in general, Lord bless me, Lord help me, take care of me, give me traveling mercies. I don't even know what those are. I mean, with traveling with kids, I'm not sure. But we need, need traveling mercies, and we get to the other side and. You know, keep us safe. And, and they're not bad prayers, but they're sometimes so vague, and, and we don't get specific enough. We don't know what are we really asking for. And here, Bartimaeus so specifically says, I want to see. Mark Batterson, pastor, says this, if faith, the scripture tells us, is being sure of what we hope for, then being unsure of what we hope for is the antithesis of faith. It's the opposite of faith. So if faith is being sure of what we hope for, but if we're unsure, it's really a declaration that We don't have faith. We don't understand what it is that we even can ask. So we need to get specific. And so maybe the question for us is, where is your blindness? What is your limitation in life? What's keeping you from experiencing life the way that God has created you to experience it? See, sight is not necessarily what a blind person needs. Now, I don't presume to know that. I've never been blind, and if I was blind, my first thought is, I would want sight. But you never know. Maybe that blind person's marriage is their greatest need. Maybe it's healing for something else. Maybe it's for opportunity. Who knows? And Jesus took the time to ask because he wanted to be, get specific and to want to hear, is this what Bartimaeus wants? I, I had a call, got a call about four, maybe, I don't know, several months ago from a, a lovely lady here in our church, Esther Bailey, many of you know her. She sits right there every Sunday in, uh, next to the sound booth, one of our, our, our oldest saints here in the church, a real gem. And she, she called with the news to say that, um, and she gave me permission to share the story here. So uh, she called to say, you know, I, I'd like to ask for healing. Actually, I was wondering if you could anoint me, if the pastors and the church leaders and, and together with the women's Bible study, if, if you would pray for me. I I had cancer many years ago. Many people didn't know that, she said, and, and, and it's come back. Um, and I'd like you to anoint me and to pray for me. I said, sure, come, you know, let, let's pray. And I said, I'd love to pray for healing for you. And she said, well, that's fine. You can pray for healing, but that's not, that's not what I'm asking you to pray for. Think about that for a moment. <laughs> You've got cancer that's come back, and you're, and you're saying, ah, that's not really, I was kind of caught off guard. I'm like, I thought that's what you wanted prayer for. I'm sorry, I assumed, I should have asked, what do you want me to pray for you for? And she said that I would be able to handle this with grace. That God would give me the grace to move forward and to move through this. I said, that's great, we'd love to pray for you that, but you know, I'm, we're also gonna pray for healing. She said, absolutely. So we gathered together right here in this place, at the, you know, while the women had their Bible study, the women, great gathered around, our staff was around, and, and we prayed. And we anointed, as Scripture says, with oil for healing, this anointing of God's presence and healing that we prayed and anointed her forehead, and we just asked God for healing. And you know what? God has answered that prayer. He's answered it because she's been handling this with incredible grace, with such a testimony, with such power, with such a, with such a way that you think, man, if something like that happens in my life, I want to know how to handle it by, by looking at the way Esther has handled it. But she's also shared with me this morning that that her cancer is is disappearing and that the doctors are are, are seeing those numbers and those counts just going down and, and can't explain that. And it's a beautiful thing the way God works and the way God answers prayer in that moment. But sometimes we ask and we assume, what do we need? But unless we know, unless God tells us, or unless we hear from the person, we don't know. And so in this moment, he's praying and he's asking for healing. And then in verse 52, we read this. It says, Jesus says, go, for your faith has healed you. Instantly, the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. Go, for your faith has healed you. What healed him? His faith. Now, remember last week, we talked about Peter walking, you know, trying to walk to Jesus on the water, and Jesus kind of says, oh, you of little faith. Thinking of little faith, yet what faith saved him when he called out to God? In this moment, we're looking at your faith has healed you. What faith has has Bartimaeus displayed except being a person on the side of the road who cries out to Jesus, Lord, have mercy on me. Because you see, his faith wasn't in him. His faith wasn't in himself. It's not about how much faith can I muster. How pious can I be? How religious can I be? How many times can I attend church? How much can I say the right things and not sin and not cuss and and, and just be the best person I can? Because if I'm that, then I bring this amazing faith to Jesus, and maybe he can heal me. No, his faith wasn't in how good he was and what he did. His faith was in who he was asking. It was in whom was asking that question. It was Jesus, and his faith was in Jesus. And when Jesus is the one asking the question, the faith that you need is simply to say lord have mercy on me have you ever heard the expression throw yourself on the mercy of the court where does that phrase come from it's because the court holds your future and your destiny in your hand if you're at trial if you're at sentencing and that judge is sitting there and he's going to determine what that sentence is or she's going to determine where your future is you throw yourself on the mercy of the court have mercy on me and you give the reasons why and It hangs in the balance there because the court has the power. The court has the authority. And in this instance, Bartimaeus understood the one who holds the authority, the one who holds the power, the one who holds his future. If I've got one chance, if I've got one shot right now, all I can muster with the faith that I have, as simple as my faith is in the one I'm asking of, son of David, have mercy on me. And he calls out. And in that moment, Jesus recognizes and looks at him and says, go for your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see, and he walked down the road. Now, physical healing is very important. If you've ever dealt with an, ail- an illness or an ailment or a chronic or a terminal illness, healing is so vital. We pray for it. We seek for it. It's probably one of the number one things that we are requested for as a church is to pray for individuals who are dealing with physical challenges. Of course, there's prayer for relationships and for for job opportunities and for moves and for friendships and and for anxiety and addictions. But, But healing for physical things is very important because our faith and our body and our spirit are so linked, and Jesus understood that. But here's the thing. Even healing for physical things is temporary, isn't it? No matter how good that healing comes, you know what? The death rate is still 100%. And I don't say that lightly, and I don't say that jokingly, but, but really, physical healing is, is temporary. All physical healing is temporary. Even, even Lazarus, whom Jesus called out of the grave from death, as far as I know, he didn't continue living. He died again. So some of these miracles, they are important. They are for now. But what, is, what Jesus is also looking at is your faith, who you are, who you are becoming through these trials, through these challenges, through these hurdles that you're overcoming. And many times he says, now go and, and sin no more or come and follow me because it's not just about a one-time thing. It's about a journey with Jesus in relationship, growing, being transformed through the struggles and through the challenges of our life. And in this moment, he heals him and he moves forward. He's telling him to, to live this life now. And it's so cool to see him say he followed Jesus. It was like, I'm going with that guy. The one who transformed my life, I'm following him, and he did. So the question for us today is still, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus is asking. You. Do you want to get well? We are all blind beggars crying out for mercy. Think about that. What makes us all the same here is we are all blind beggars crying out for mercy. If you become part of the church, if you give your life to Christ, if you've cried out in a moment, Lord, have mercy on you, it's all of us acknowledging that we are blind beggars in need of mercy, throwing ourselves on the mercy of the court, throwing ourselves at the mercy of our Savior to come and to heal and to restore. And there's a freedom in that where it says, I don't have to put all the pieces together. God's going to work with me, and he's going to do what I can't, and we're going to partner in this together in relationship. Jesus brings that healing. We are all blind beggars crying out for mercy. What does well look like for you? What is your blindness? What do you want Jesus to do for you? Let me just focus on that word for one minute here. He didn't say, what do you need me to do for you? And I know we talk often about wants and needs, and, and, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, first world problems, and, you know, what I want is a new phone, or a new this, or a new that, and we go, I know, first world problems, and it's good. We shouldn't be caught up in our wants. We really should see and look at needs, but I find interesting that Jesus here is asking, what do you want me to do? Not just, what do you need me to do? What do you want? And, and it, when I was confronted with this question, or saw it in a new way a few years ago, when I was reading the book Circle Maker by Mark Batterson, this idea of getting specific with answering that question, have you ever just really sat down and said, this is what I want Jesus to do for me." And we're always like, no, nah, I don't, you know, I feel kind of weird asking for my wants. How about just my needs, my basic minimum needs? But I was encouraged to do that. And so I, I had this big whiteboard up in, up in the office where I was at, and uh, I made two lists. And I wrote ministry and family. Ministry, you know, this is what I do. This is my life. And I just put a want list, almost a wish list of if I could lead a church, if I could be in ministry, if I could script my future and, and how I would want to pour my life into ministry, this is what I want. Not just what I need, trying to be all sheepish, like, I'm going to go big. I'm going to tell God what I want. So we started writing it down. I want to be part of a church that impacts the kingdom of God. I want to be part of a church. I want to lead a church that makes a difference in the community. I want to be part of a church where life change happens regularly, where we see baptisms, we see transformation. I want to see a church where the next generation of leaders feels like this is a church that's alive and vibrant and growing, and we hand off a church to the next generation that isn't dying but that is thriving. I want to be a part of a church where where I can lean into my passion of preaching and maybe even writing and and leading a team where we can do some amazing ministry together. That's what I want, God. That's what I want to be a part of. And for my family, I started making a list and thinking, we just want to be part of a community, a community of others who who live together, who feel together, who who experience faith together and friendship. I even put something as, as trite as families where we can go on a camping trip together. Something like that because it embodies for me this idea of community and relationship and the depth that comes from that friends where we can share spiritually. I put things like I want my daughters to be able to be part of a church and a ministry where, where they have a tremendous children's ministry and where they're in student ministry and, and, are, and grow to know and to love Christ. And by the way, if you have boys, you better teach them the same. Please, I beg of you, raise godly men. Otherwise, you aren't having my beautiful daughters. I'm just telling you right now. All right? All right we pray for them. And these are the wants and the wishes and the dreams, and, and it just felt good to just put them out there. And I remember dating at August 13, right, 2013. That was the, that was the, the date where I really I felt this, and I began to write this down, and I began to pray, and I began to circle those things in prayers. And you know, when, when God was, was speaking to us, when God began, when I got this call from McDowell Mountain Community Church, And here I am a few years later or a year and a half or so later, my my wife and I and our family, and I can tell you, God is answering those very prayers. To be part of a church that's moving forward, a church that's vibrant, a church that wants to reach the community, a church that believes in the future and investing in children and in youth, that loves with no strings attached, where there's life here. I was just listening to you guys sing, Good, Good Father. I wasn't singing. I was just listening. And to hear you guys express those things. A church where life is happening, a place where my children can meet others, it's happening. A community where we find these friends that we can pour our heart in, people that are praying for us, where we are praying for them. This is life, this is community, and God is faithful when we begin to answer and get specific in the things that we want. Now we ask in accordance to God's will, God, I think these things are within your will to have and experience life in this way, and to have the boldness and the courage to ask for those things. How specific are you? What are the dreams and the visions that you have? What are the dreams and visions we share for a church as we pray together for the future that God has for us, to see lives transformed, baptisms that are happening? people going on missions trips, people go to these trips, They're life transforming, spend a 100 bucks for a simple little weekend and go to Mexico and watch what God does in you as you give up the comfortable lifestyle here and you see people living in cardboard boxes with big smiles on their face, barefoot kicking a dirty old soccer ball, not being coached five, six days a week with professional coaches so that they can get the starting line on the front team. You see joy, your mind gets stretched, your eyes are open, you see what people have, that's transforming. That's what I wish and desire and want, and that's what we pray for. What do you want for the church, for your life? Get specific. Pray for those things. God wants to bless. He wants to honor those things. I just got a text, uh, a message uh, just yesterday from somebody who helped um, start the church we started back in Santan Valley. She said, I've been meaning to tell you this for for a while and and to let you know about this. Uh, I don't know if you remember. She said it was one of our first years, so probably about eight, nine years ago you did a message, and we were, we were talking about praying for people that we know who don't know Christ, that we'd want to bring to church someday, and, and especially lead them to Christ. And she said, you handed out these three little, uh, you gave each person three little wooden keychains, and on those little wooden keychains, you asked us to write the names, specific names of three individuals that we would be praying for. And she said, I did that, and I wrote them down. She said, I don't know if you know, but I had them hanging in my rearview mirror in my car for years. She said, I wanted to tell you that God has not been faithful in answering those prayers, that two of those three people have come to know Christ. He said, one is my brother and the other one's his wife. He said, I want you to know they are now serving in the church. They've come to life in their faith and they're leading their family to know God. He said, I just wanted you to know that those prayers were answered and God is faithful. There's still another one she's praying for. But when we get specific, we can know when God answers those prayers, we can see how he moves. What do you want, God? To do for you? Jesus is asking you that question. He wants to know, are you bold enough to say, God, here's what I want. Here's what I want to give you. And would you just have faith to say, God, I just throw myself at your mercy. Maybe someone here today, your simple prayer, all you can muster is simply to say, I'm done. I can try to figure it out. I can't take these pieces anymore. And God, I'm just like blind Bartimaeus, just screaming out to, I don't even know where, but Lord, have mercy on me. And watch what Jesus does and how he comes. I encourage you this week to take some time and write down, maybe like I did in your life, for your family, for your career, for the people around you. You just start saying, God, this is what I really want. The longings of my heart. Write them down and begin to pray and watch God shape and form around that. And maybe this morning as we close and we're gonna stand and worship here in a moment, you come up and you pin to the cross. Maybe you write very specifically, this is what I want. I really want healing, I need that. And you pin those to the cross or you light a candle symbolizing God's presence and saying, God, I need your light and your life in my life. And and this is what I want. This is what I need, Lord. And you make that your prayer. But as we close too, I also wanna ask you during this this closing song and even after worship, if you wanna be anointed for healing, as scripture says, I'd love to pray for you. And you can do that, you can come up front here and, and, and get, you know, tap me on the shoulder and, and I'll look for you and I'd just love to pray for you for healing in accordance to God's word. Jesus is still asking, what do you want me to do for you? I can't answer that question for you. We each need to answer that ourselves. Let's pray. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, This is an amazing question. That the God of the universe, the savior of the world, would come to us, sinful, struggling, just trying to get our way through life sometimes. And God, you would ask us what you could do for us. What is it that we want? Thank you for taking such an interest in our life, for such a care, for such an openness. God, we just pour out our hearts to you that you would come and that you would bring hope and healing and restoration. And God, if there's somebody here today who's never just cried out to you because they've, they've held on too tight and tried to do it all themselves and have resisted and struggled turning their lives to you, that they would just in a moment of freedom and of blindness and of surrender say, Lord, have mercy on me. And that they would experience the comfort and the healing that comes, that they would be able to go from here saying your faith has healed you. You are powerful, God. You love us. You care for us we are so thankful for these questions and your love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.